Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus didn't attract people because he was the handsomest guy on the block, or because he was six foot or eight feet tall, or because he glowed in the dark, or none of those things. Jesus attracted people because he was warmth. They felt love and compassion and concern actually coming forth from him, radiating toward them. Today we finish Pastor Sam's message, Salt and Light, where we learn about what it is that we become as we become more like Jesus. When we radiate the light of Christ, we not only show the world the way, but we make them thirsty for Him. Let's jump back into verses 13 through 16 of Matthew 5. You know the danger and God's protecting you from it and giving you wisdom concerning it, but not all the world gets that. There's protection physically. There's also protection spiritually. We looked at Jesus' temptation just a week or two ago and three weeks ago or so. And, and it's like important to know in a day and age where so many people are confused about the power of Satan and the, the, the ways of Satan, we just got to know what the Bible teaches about him. But here's, here's one thing that you need to know. that The Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness. And Satan is darkness and there's no light in him. He masquerades as an angel of light. He portrays himself as a savior, a, a mediator, a hope. And he pulls people away through lies and deception, through intimidation. But, but here's the deal. I see a lot of books and they're out there in movies and all this that, that go so far beyond what C.S. Lewis did in the Screwtape Letters, a book I highly recommend, by the way. I don't know if we have it in our bookstore, but we should if we don't. He, he, he talked about Satan's wiles and, and deception and all that. And he did it in such a way that you could think, well, this really is some of the things Satan could do. But there was no way Satan was glorified in the book or that you came away more afraid of Satan, just more clear that, hey, he was a defeated foe. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. But, but here's the thing. Today, there are a lot of people shouting at the darkness and rebuking the darkness and, and doing seminars on how to push away the darkness. You know what I do when I walk in this building, when I walk in this room and it's completely black? I don't shout at the darkness. I don't rebuke the darkness. I don't, you know, get away from me, darkness. I just flip on the light switch. Why? When the light goes on, the darkness flees. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always going to be. And if you are the light of the world, you don't got to worry about the darkness overcoming the light. It can never happen. Darkness and light cannot, they cannot What's the word? I'm rarely at coexist in the same space at the same time. It's good enough. I'm not 100% sure, but it is good to have an English teacher right up front. <laughs> they can't coexist in the, in the same space at the same time. The darkness will either extinguish the light or the light will chase away the darkness. And here's the thing. John tells us the darkness cannot extinguish the light that's in you. Why? That light is God. The darkness can't overcome God, and God will overcome the darkness. Hey, th see, and Mark, I'm reminded, years ago, we coached together, and Mark still does, coaches varsity, I think, basketball, right, down in Durham, still doing it, and I got, had a privilege of coaching for a couple years with him, and we coached some kids that lived south of town, and, and they lived in that place where the emus and the llamas and all that are, and they had a big barn, and there were a million rats in it, and so Irv, who, who ran the place out there, used to pay those boys and my boys to go out and shoot the rats. Well, they were eating the grain. If, if you're like a bunny hugger, that's one thing. If you love rats, you got a problem. <laughs> but anyway, 
those kids would go out there and, and they never once. Now, I would be scared to go with them just knowing. Them. I mean, these kids, these kids were scary kids. I mean, they were the kind of kids, truly. They'd watch Mr. Rogers when they were little kids. And, and, and Gentry, one of them, told me he was scared. They were both scared of Mr. Rogers because he'd say hi. And they thought he could actually see him through the TV. <laughs> Not the sharpest kids, but they could dunk. I mean, so they're on the team, you know. And so, <laughs> so anyway, e even with their limited... And I'm not saying they were dumb. I'm just saying they weren't geniuses. They're not going to Oxford. Uh, they never tried to shoot the rats in the dark. Here's kind of where I'm, this actually has a point. I'm going somewhere with this. They didn't go out there and, and, and just, you know, shoot in the dark. Why? You might luckily here or there get a rat. But, man, you turn on the light, the rats scatter, and bam, 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 bam. And they're getting them left and right because there were so many of them. But when the light goes on, the rats scattered. You know, I shared that illustration earlier. And... Uh, and a guy reminded me, he was from Chicago, he knew I'd lived in Chicago, and he said back in the 60s, Mayor Daley got the idea to put lights in the alleys. Now, nobody had thought up, of it up to that point, and some even suggested it might increase crime. You want to know what happened? Crime went way down. Why? Criminals like rats don't like the light. Now, I don't want to offend anybody if you're a criminal and you've recently given your life to the Lord, or maybe today you're here and you have not yet given your life to the Lord. You're welcome. You're loved. W Jesus loves you. You know, the fire brimstone's coming, but, but no. But, but my, my whole point is he lit up the city, he lit up the alleys, and crime went down. Not only that, but when you flew into Chicago from a distance, it was one of the most beautiful cities at that time because it was so brightly lit. This was long before Vegas grew in. You know, you can see Vegas from California now. But, but in those days, man, Chicago was it. And uh, Chicago's a unique city for a lot of reasons. I, it's so easy for me to do. I could do rabbit trails forever and never, never get to the next point, but I do got to share this with you. When I lived in Chicago, I, I, I was blown away because it's the only place I've ever lived where there was absolutely no prejudice. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I'm sure there was prejudice. No, there was no prejudice in Chicago. Everybody hated everybody. And... Uh, I was never more glad to get out of somewhere. So from the air, it looked great. When you actually got into it, not so good. But, uh, and if you're from Chicago, hey, I live there. So, you know, we'll hash it out later. But uh, <laughs> preservation, the salt of the earth, illumination, the light of the world, also revelation. And this has to do not with light and darkness, but light and truth. You know, when Jesus was tempted, and we studied that as I shared a few weeks back, tapes are available if you weren't with us. When Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. He knew that the word of God dealt with every temptation, with every problem, with every trial, with every opportunity. And so he simply said, this is what the word says. And it still stands. It's still true. There was a revelation that light and truth can't be separated. You can't walk in the light without walking in truth. Read First John. He'll make that so clear to you. If you're walking in light, you're walking in truth. If you're walking in truth, you're walking in love. You can't separate any one of those out and still be walking in the other. And so light not only provides illumination and revelation, but it provides maturation. Now, now before I move on, though, we need to walk in the truth then, and we need to walk in the light. Because if we walk in truth and we walk in light, then, then well, we'll not only be students of the word, but we'll be living the word. And that's what people are watching. Not how many verses can we quote, but how many do we actually obey? How many principles of scripture do we know? No. Have those principles 
really taken root in our lives and begun to change us into people more like the one who gave them to us. That's what people are looking at. And remember, salt of the earth, light of the world. It's not about light of yourself, salt of for yourself. It's about the world and the earth and the people around us. So illumination, light and darkness. Revelation, light and truth. Maturation, that's about light and growth. And I don't know how many of you are aware, but not a lot of things grow in the dark. Now, some things do. Mold, mushrooms, fungus. You know, and maybe sometimes, well, I don't know when, well, mold's good on cheese, okay, and mushroom's good in an omelet. I'm sure there's some use for those. But primarily, if you're farming, you're not farming mold and fungus and mushrooms. And so I'd suggest again that growth happens through a good, healthy diet of the word, through obedience that would be exercising, you know, spiritually. You can't just study it. You've got to do it. That's exercise. So you've got good nourishment, you've got good exercise, you need sunlight. You know, to be a healthy person physically, you've got to get out in the sun. Now, in our day, you've got to wear sunscreen when you go in the sun. So that's kind of a bummer to me personally, being someone who lived at the beach for years. But, but you know, nevertheless, you put it on and you go out in the sun. Why? The sun is good for you. And I'd suggest that the sunlight, S-O-N-L-I-G-H-T, is, is equally necessary in order to grow and, and profit spiritually, in order to be what God's intended for us to be. So illumination and revelation and maturation and then radiation has to do with light and warmth. And um, sadly, tragically and truly, there are many Christians that are, well, they're a lot like a forced air heater. A lot of hot air, but not much warmth. And, uh, and, and, and I mean it. Jesus was attractive to people. Now, I'm not saying he was a handsome man because Isaiah says that there was no form or comeliness that we would have desired him. A lot of people are surprised by that, even shocked by it. Jesus didn't attract people because he was the handsomest guy on the block or because he was six foot or eight feet tall or because he glowed in the dark or none of those things. Jesus attracted people because he was warmth. They felt love and compassion and concern actually coming forth from him radiating toward them. And, and I don't know how aware you are, radiant heat by far exceeds forced air heat. I mean, it, it ex excels. If, if you have ever lived with a wood stove and now you don't have it, while you may not miss the hassle of getting the wood and you know stocking the stove and cleaning up and the dust and the dirt, listen, the heat that comes from a wood stove cannot be compared with. It heats tile, it heats wood, it heats you. You know the saying, chill to the bone? How about warm to the bone? That's what happens when you're sitting by a wood stove. But you sit in forced air heat, we have it here. As soon as you turn it off, room gets cool. You can get chilled right away. Never forget one of the few youth camps I ever did with this church. And I'd been a youth pastor before I was the senior pastor here. So I sort of thought, hey, you know, that's me. I can relate to these kids. And I went and I tried. And I really should have gone with the respect me. I'm the senior pastor thing because I tried to be their friend. And they decided, hey, let's throw Pastor Sam down the hill. And uh, I, they were just a little too close for, you know, buddying up for my comfort. Now, I'm really not that fun of a guy. I don't know, you know, maybe you think, well, you know, once in a while you, you seem like you might be. I'm really not. Ask Pam. And, uh, and these kids found out I wasn't. Fortunately, I mean, for, for my sake, their sake, the witness sake, and, you know, it didn't get totally out of hand. But when they decided they were going to throw me down the hill, I decided that wasn't going to happen. And the problem was there were three or four of them. One of them 
our pastor Bud's son, and that shows you how gracious I really am. Bud's still on staff. But anyway, they decided uh, we're going to throw Pastor Sam down the hill, and it took four of them. Because, man, I was not going to let it happen. And though I wasn't very strong and very big, I really was determined these kids were not going to throw me down the hill. And once I realized I was going down, I decided, well, if I'm going, best to use a kid as a slide. And I, I was able to do that. So I just pulled one of those suckers under me and got on him and bam, 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 all the way down the hill. But, but when we got done with that little excursion... We were just chilled to the bone. We were soaking wet and we, you know, hobbled back up the hill and laughing and, and, uh, and then we got changed into dry clothes and man, we got to that wood stove and I'll tell you, I never felt so good and so content and, and so grateful for something. There's no way you put me in a room with warm air blowing around and take that chill off. And, and here's my point. We are to be warm toward one another, not just affectionate you know, in our thoughts, you know, of, hey, I really love you, brother. I mean, we said that in the 60s and it wasn't true. We want our love to be genuine. We want warmth to radiate from us. It's another picture. It's such a good one, too. Sometimes I've heard people teaching this passage or others relating to the light say it's like the sun and the moon, you know, like God's the sun and we're like the moon and, and we're reflecting his light. That isn't what this is saying. We are not reflecting the light of Jesus. We are radiating it. He has taken up residence within and he is loving people through us and drawing people to us for the express purpose of us pointing people to him. That's what it's about. And so if, if you're a radiator, people are going to be touched and encouraged and drawn. And that's the picture he's given us. Radiation, light and warmth. Then sanctification, we have just two more. Sanctification, that's about light and purity. As we believe in and become more like Jesus, we are going to be purified. In fact, there's a puzzling scripture in 1 John, puzzling for many, where he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Well, that's not that puzzling. If we're walking in the light, well, he's in the light. We are the light. He is the light. It's all light. It's all good. There's fellowship. But then it says, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it's in the present tense, which means the blood of Christ keeps cleansing us from all sin. And at first reading, you think, what? If I'm walking in the light and I'm walking close with Jesus and I'm aware of his presence and I'm intimately listening to and associating with him, I'm not going to be sinning, am I? Well, sadly, yes. But here's the difference. The moment you sin, you'll recognize a barrier has gone up between you and Jesus because sin breaks fellowship. It definitely does. And the moment you sense fellowship's broken, it can be an instant. Lord, forgive me that thought. I know that thought's not you. And before it ever becomes an expression or a word or an action, you've already repented and confessed and fellowship is restored. And it never becomes a look, an expression, an action, a word. You see, most of us, we're still dealing with the obvious sins and we're thinking, oh, someday I'm going to conquer all these. I got news for you. If you're dealing with overt outward sins, no unbeliever is going to be impressed by that. Why? Even unbelievers know those things are wrong. Unbelievers know it's wrong to steal, that it's wrong to be immoral, that it's wrong to lie. 
They're not impressed that you say, hey, I used to be a thief and I now I go to church and I'm not a thief anymore. They're like, well, don't I'm not going to trust you anyway. You know, well, I used to be immoral, lusting all the time, but I don't do that anymore. Well, stay away from my wife and kids, you know. And the, the thing is, is it's like the world isn't impressed that we're no longer doing things that we should have never done in the first place. What impresses them is when they're they're persecuting and instead they get something loving back or they say something unkind to you and, and you just blow it off. You turn the other cheek. We'll talk more about that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm talking about getting to the very heart and core of sin, dealing with sin in its essence. And that's what Jesus will deal with and so beautifully and wonderfully teach us next time as we look at this next passage. But But my point is just... If we're walking in the light, we're going to be pure. But the reason we're pure isn't that we don't sin. It's that we instantly and immediately confess and we find forgiveness and restoration. And then there's redemption. That's all about light and life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's his intention that all who've seen him and all who've trusted in him and all who've been sealed by him, all who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world would be drawing others to Jesus. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, two of the people who heard him say that and saw him point to Jesus were Philip and Andrew. And immediately, Philip went and got his brother. Immediately, Andrew went and got his brother. Hey, they hadn't got it all figured out. They didn't know all about it. All they knew is that they had been pointed to the one who could change their lives and came to change their lives. And that's that's our opportunity in our generation. That's our responsibility in our generation. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And so he gives us the three places that this has got to happen. He says, hey, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. They would have immediately thought of Jerusalem. You know, no matter where you are, if you're near Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. North, south, east, west makes no difference because Jerusalem is up. And it's a city set on a hill. It's the city where God chose to manifest his presence, to make his name known, to declare his grace and mercy. And so they would have thought, hey, that's like Jerusalem. And he's saying, you're a city set on a hill. You're a lighthouse. What's a lighthouse all about? What's it for? It's to shine so that people aren't dashed on the rocks below. So they're not trashed and devastated by the destruction that's ultimately going to happen unless they're pointed away from it and protected from it. And so you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. We are to be a witness to the world. But if we're going to be a witness to the world, we need to first be a witness at home. And I, he brings that home in verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see, we need to be the same person at home that we are out in, in the world. And, and now if you're a person that's more of a Christian at home than you are in the world, that's a problem too. But But what I'm saying is, a lot of us, let's just say this is the world, although we know it's not. This is the church. It's better than the world. We get to be a part of it. There's so many good things about it. But here we really do, well, we're on our best behavior. Let's face it. I hardly ever see guys yelling at their wife here. And, and I think, I'm sure guys still yell at their wives. I can't have been the only one. And, 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 and I'm thinking, why don't I ever see that here? Well, because... This is church, man. You've you got to act like a Christian here. But if you act like a Christian here and then you go home and you yell at your wife, 
Then she's like, why didn't you yell at me in front of Pastor Sam, you know? Now, don't come in for counseling and yell at your wife in front of me. I don't want that either. If you got a problem with that, first of all, talk to Bud. Secondly, <laughs> self-preservation. Secondly, don't yell at your wife at all. Hey, don't yell at somebody you love. You don't accuse somebody you love. If you're doing that, you, you need help. You do have a problem, but, but it ain't going to be therapy. It ain't going to be counseling that's going to change you. You need to change a heart. You need to know that when you have someone precious and you love them, then you treat them that way as if they were precious and loved. That's another lesson all itself, and we'll get to it. But listen, to the world, we're the light of the world. We're a lighthouse to the world at home. Hey, that's where we need to shine the brightest those who know us best need to see we're the real thing. We don't let down our guard when we go home. That's where we need to say, Lord, light me up. I want to shine for you here. I don't want to justify an excuse. I didn't get enough sleep. I'm in a bad mood, under a lot of pressure. There's so many reasons we give and excuses we make for ungodly behavior, for failing to, to really shine for him. And then he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. To me, this is just a picture of shining for him at work, at play, wherever you go. And, and the idea being that when they see how you live and what you do and what you're about, they're not going to say, you're so wonderful. That's what the world does. Everybody gives each other rewards and magnifies each other and idolizes each other. And, and it's all about the greatest this and the fastest that and the most wonderful this. But when we do our good works, if we're truly living as God intended, People are going to look at us and say, you know, God is so good. God is so amazing. Because we're going to be honest and open before people, not always tearing ourselves down, because that can be false humility in the first place. But just acknowledging, you know what? God in me has made me such a different person. And, and yeah, I'm far from what, I, I may not be all I hope to be. I just thank God I'm not what I used to be. And, and to be honest before people and say, it's God. He's truly changed my life and my mind and my attitudes. And, and if he hasn't, let him. Because you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And two final things. If you're not a believer and you're thinking, hey, I'm not a believer because the people who say they're Christians that I've observed, they're like Lot. They're compromised. They're, they may be or may not be, but I don't see it. Listen, you just need to look past them. And you should be able to find some good examples of what it means to be a Christian here. You won't find any perfect people, but you will find people that are truly growing in Christ and representing the Lord who, who can honestly say, follow me as I follow Jesus. That should be our desire, each and every one of us. And if you're not there today, don't excuse it. Don't justify it or rationalize it. Say, God, bring me there. Mature me. I want to be able to say, follow me. Look at me. Not so I'll get the glory, but so they'll see Jesus. And if you're an unbeliever, you need to know that those unbelievers in Sodom and Gomorrah perished. And maybe mocking Lot was all Lot had coming from those people. But you can mock Christians all you want. And hell is real and judgment is true and wrath is coming. And, and you're not going to be delivered from the wrath because you say, well, he was a bad witness. No, Jesus was the perfect witness. He, he was all that we're hoping to be and praying God will make us and, and, and all that we're becoming. And, and listen, he, he loves you perfectly. We love imperfectly. He's, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God's only plan for your salvation. His death and sacrifice on your behalf, that's your only hope. 
So, man, you want to grab hold. You want to cling to that reality. You're in the light because you're here. And Jesus is here. Let him work in you if you've yet to give your life to him. And if you've given your life to him and you recognize, man, I got so far to go with him. So we all do. That's how it is. Some of us a little further down the road than others, we're just trying to stay close enough to say, hey, stay on my trail. I'm headed the right direction. Go this way. This is the path God would have us walk. This is the path of safety. This is the path of blessing. This is the path of usefulness, the path of fruitfulness. And, and we won't have our witness cast out and trodden under the foot of man. And we won't be hiding the light that God has made us, but we'll be shining brightly and he'll be getting the glory. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, who you are speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. Now the world is watching us, you and I. They pay more attention to the way we live life than to the words that we say. God will use us as salt and light when we live a life worth watching. May we pray for the strength and wisdom to do this. Join us next time for more from the book of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.